0: Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Mexica and Aztec traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Motekusoma was quite literally not himself. His strong human body, normally covered with gold adornments, was now covered in feathers. His muscular arms were now wings, propelling him swiftly through the clouds. He was a bird. He flew behind a formation of 60 other winged comrades as they swooped down to an expansive lake that encircled a pristine mountain peak. The lake dazzled Motekusoma as he and the other birds landed on its shore. He leaned forward, eyeing his beaked reflection in the still water. As he stared, he watched his face slowly transform. His beak melted away, replaced with his angular nose. His head expanded as the feathers dropped off to give way to human flesh. Soon, he was staring at a face that he recognized, that of the Emperor of the Mexica. He smiled. It was a face he liked to see. But the lake did not hold his attention for long. He slowly lifted his gaze to take in the majestic, glowing mountain that sat in the lake's center, Aztlan, the homeland of the Aztecs. Home
1: at last.
0: Motekusoma turned to see the other birds had transformed as well. Sixty sorcerers were now assembled on the lake's shore. One of them, the oldest and wisest, stood beside him. He looked somber, but this was nothing new. The sorcerers were not the merriest of Motekusoma's subjects. But this sorcerer wasn't looking at Motekusoma. He was looking out at the lake. He raised a hand slowly, and Motekusoma looked to see where the man was pointing. Five canoes glided silently through the water, with a handful of bare-chested men inside their cradles. Their skin was bronzed and pristine, almost glowing. Their faces were stoic as they watched Motekusoma and the sorcerers. These were the Aztec ancestors, and their silent power caused a chill to ripple down Motekusoma's spine. He quickly shook it off. He was the great warlord emperor. Men, even those as ancient as the ones who sat in those canoes, should not scare him. He turned to one of the sorcerers.
1: Make them speak. They want to know our business here, my lord. And then they will decide if we are worthy of an audience with Cotley Q's caretaker. Just tell them who I am. If they do not cooperate, I can always bring my warriors to their shores."
0: The sorcerer answered with an unrelenting, silent stare. Motekusoma waited for a response. After a few moments, his bravado began to falter. Sweat appeared on his brow. He was a king, and he was not pleased to find that here no one seemed to care. Well, he would make them care. He would send a sorcerer back to the palace to retrieve more men. And in the name of their almighty god, Huitzilopochtli, his men would rip these Aztecs from limb to limb. That should make Coatlicue skip all these theatrics and appear before him. He straightened his posture as he readied to deliver his command. Only then did the sorcerer speak.
1: Warriors have no place here. You will need to prove your worth another way.
0: Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast Original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type mythology in the search bar. Today, we're continuing the adventure of Motekusoma I, the legendary Emperor of the Mexica. Motekusoma had spent the better part of his rule praying to their almighty god, Huitzilopochtli. But it was Huitzilopochtli's mother, Kotliku, that commanded his attention, after she fled their city and plunged their lands into years of drought. His quest to convince Coatlicue to return to Tenochtitlan brought him to the lost homeland of his people, Aztlan, a place he had long dreamed of finding. We'll continue the story after this. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. After a failed first attempt at finding Astlan, Moteku Soma enlisted the help of his kingdom's sorcerers to locate the lost country. He accompanied them through the skies as a bird, and was finally led to the shores of the lake that surrounded the mystical Astlan. But as he stared at this place in awe, Motecuhzoma and the sorcerers were visited by five canoes full of ancient Aztecs. The Aztecs slowly rowed to the shore. Their backs were straight, and their movements were seamlessly unified, almost as if they rode with a single mind. Motekusoma could not help but feel a flutter in his belly as he watched these ancient beings move. He did his best to hide his nerves. The boats hit land, but the Aztecs did not disembark. Motekusoma shifted, wondering what they were waiting for. He thought of the multitude of gifts he'd readied for an offering to Kotlikyu.
1: Is it gifts they want? And we somehow managed to leave them in Tenochtitlan. You carry them, my lord.
0: Surprised, Motekusoma felt around his robes, pulling out gold, chocolate, and other trinkets, far more than should have been able to fit. He relaxed slightly. At least he would not be approaching Kotlikyu empty handed. He looked up at the Aztecs and held out a bar of gold.
1: Thank you for the transport. We can find our way from here. Sorceress, choose which among you shall come. There is not room for all.
0: Motekusoma strode forward and tossed the gold carelessly in the nearest canoe, before gently pushing an Aztec aside to board. As soon as his hand touched the Aztec's shoulder, Motekusoma was flung through the air. He came crashing to the ground hard. The wind knocked out of him. Dazed, he sat up. None of the Aztecs looked as though they'd moved a muscle, and yet here he was, on the ground. As the shock wore off, embarrassment began to sink in. And then, anger. He staggered to his feet, his eyes blazing. You
1: dare throw a king to the ground? You feel bold while my army sits in Tenochtitlan, eh? You cannot harm them, so, king, keep your hands to yourself. I do not want to harm them. I just want to be on my way. Then tell them why you have come. Use your words, my lord. Do not treat me like a child. I warn you. You risk punishment when we return to Tenochtitlan.
0: The sorcerer stared back at Motekusoma, unmoved by his threats. Motekusoma took a deep, calming sigh and turned to address the Aztecs.
1: I seek an audience with the goddess. She knows why.
0: After a long silence, they slowly nodded and returned to their canoes.
1: Wait, wait! Where are they going? stop you best hurry my lord they will not wait but you must come with me you are my guard we are your guides and now you have new ones
0: motekusoma wanted to protest he was eager to finally set foot on the mountain of astlan to appear before the goddess kotlikyu but he felt burdened with doubt he knew war but this world of magic was foreign to him But the canoes were leaving. If he did not hurry, he would lose his chance to set foot on the hallowed land of Aztlan. Motekusoma ran to the last canoe as it pulled away. With a flying leap, he jumped inside. The boat rocked precariously. Water splashed in from both sides. But soon, it steadied. Motekusoma turned to look back the way he had come at the magicians that had brought him this far. But the shore was empty. The sorcerers were gone. Motekusoma sat silently in the boat. Watching the mountainous terrain of Astlan draw ever closer, he could not believe how rich the colors were. The trees sparkled with dew that amplified their greenery, the water below so clear that schools of iridescent fish were visible beneath its tranquil surface. And on the mountain ahead, Shades of purple flowers created a halo around the mountain's peak, an offering of perennials like none he had ever seen. It seemed fake, like a painting, and yet had the feeling of something that captured the essence of the world. There was no other place as real as this. Motekusoma began to tremble with anticipation. He was here. He was here. The other four canoes split off and pulled away. His canoe, however, was headed straight for a small dock. Behind it, a narrow path led up to a rock structure embedded in the mountainside. Motekusoma stepped out of the canoe. As soon as his feet touched the pier, the Aztecs paddled away, disappearing around the side of the mountain. Motekusoma entered the structure, nearly stepping right into a deep hole that lurked beside the door. Motekusoma stumbled backward just in time, his heart leaping in his chest. The pit was so dark that Motekusoma was unable to see its bottom. The sight of it made him unsteady. He stepped back further and looked around the space. It was a simple stone cavern dark but for a shaft of light that leaked in from a narrow doorway cut in the other side of the room the only other exit the room was plain no carvings or decor it was devoid of any kind of furnishings and of people hello motekusoma's stomach growled now that he had time to linger He realized he was very hungry. He fumbled in his pockets, producing a chunk of chocolate wrapped in a woven cloth, one of the gifts for Kotliku. He hesitated. He had more gifts to give her, plenty more. He bit off a piece of chocolate, and then another. He chewed quickly, loudly, spurned on by his raging hunger.
1: You must be famished.
0: Motekusoma nearly spat out the chocolate in shock. Standing beside him was an old man. His weather-beaten face was smiling, yet there was no warmth in his eyes. Almost as if he was not a man at all, but an empty vessel. His speech was wooden, and his movements seemed mechanical. He cocked his head as if pantomiming curiosity.
1: You stand before Montecusoma. Emperor of the Mexica! Where is your respect? I am the caretaker. When you are ready, we shall go.
0: The caretaker stood and hobbled toward the narrow door on the opposite side of the room. Motekosoma moved to follow, but paused as he passed the bottomless hole he'd nearly stepped in moments before.
1: Does this lead to Chico Mostak? THE SEVEN CAVES SIT BELOW US, THE CAVES OF THE SEVEN TRIBES, Mexica, Tlahuica, Colhua, SOLCHIMILCA, TEPANEKA, Tlascateca, CHALCA.
0: Though he fought it, Motekusoma's eyes filled with tears. He knelt to gently lay a palm on the stone floor by the hole. He closed his eyes, willing the energy of his ancestors to embolden him, but he felt only stone.
1: I am the caretaker. When you are ready, we shall go.
0: Motekusoma tensed at the repetition, suddenly very aware of this man's oddities. He followed, but remained uneasy as the caretaker led him to the door. Moments later, Motekusoma and the caretaker stepped outside, onto a narrow path surrounded by thick foliage. The caretaker started down it, Motekusoma trailing behind him. But as they walked, Motekusoma found himself slowing. His feet felt like they were weighed down with lead, rather than the golden sandals he'd been wearing. The caretaker had no such issue, And soon, he was so far ahead that Motekusoma could no longer see him.
1: Wait! I command you to... Wait.
0: Motekusoma looked down at his sandals, but they were nowhere to be seen. The ground had swallowed up both of the Emperor's feet. He was sinking into the earth. Up next, Motekusoma faces the treacherous magic of Astlan. Now back to the story. The emperor Motekusoma's mind raced. He tried to lift his feet from the earth. He grabbed onto branches surrounding the path, desperate as he tried to pull himself out. He had traveled so far to get to his people's homeland, the mystical land of Astlan. He had arrived safely, so close to an audience with Kotliku, the goddess of the earth. And here he was, with his feet sinking into the narrow path with every step he took. He lurched as he put one foot in front of the other, but each time his foot hit the ground, it sunk into the dirt beneath it. He was going nowhere fast. His heartbeat quickened, his panic rose, and the taste of bile filled his mouth. He cursed to himself for leaving his sixty sorcerers on the shores of Astlan's lake, if he only had their skill with him now. Kotliku's caretaker reappeared on the path ahead, looking at Motekusoma with a hollow expression of pity. His inaction exasperated Motekusoma.
1: Why do you just stand there? It seems you are too heavy for this path. You tread on it just fine. The stout are unable to reach the top, Emperor Motecosoma. Stout? What was the last thing you ate? I... a piece of chocolate. You... what game are you playing? You watched me eat it. It was all that I have had in a day's time. A meager portion, I hardly chocolate. think... Chocolate is a luxurious item, Emperor. It is quite rich. Ugh, not so rich that I would sink. Those who live in Aslan stay away from such foods. It is how they stay healthy, immortal. You will notice that such heavy foods can age you as well.
0: Motekusoma looked down at his hands, where before they'd been bronzed and pristine, they were now gnarled and wrinkled. Veins stood out under his now papery skin.
1: What is this? Am I dying? It is possible this path will kill you, yes. Would you like to continue? I... I... Can you not bring the goddess to me? I do not bring the goddess. The goddess goes where she pleases. I have come far to see her! Then perhaps you would like to see it through.
0: Motekusoma let out a cry of rage at the audacity of this old man. He was sick of people speaking to him as if he were an infant. He ruled over the most powerful empire in the world. He was feared, revered, and honored, and he was here through no fault of his own. No, it was Kotliku's fault he was here— if it were not for her drought, he would be sitting atop his throne and planning the next campaign with his half-brother, Tlakaela. Motekusoma grabbed at a branch and ripped off its leaves. He flung it towards the caretaker, but it floated harmlessly through the air before drifting to the ground. The caretaker was unperturbed by Motekusoma's tantrum. He simply stood, watching the Emperor as the fight slowly seeped out of him. Soon, Motekusoma collapsed to his knees. A cold realization fell over him. No one here cared that he was a king. He had never felt so exposed. The caretaker cocked his head and once again repeated his familiar phrase.
1: I am the caretaker when you are ready we shall go
0: the guide had said these words twice before but this was the first time that motekusoma truly heard them when he next looked up at the caretaker he did not feel like a powerful emperor or a warlord he just felt like a man
1: how do i know if i am ready i do not have an answer for this but i think you do
0: Motekusoma lay in the dirt as the caretaker's words reverberated through his mind. He had never questioned readiness when sending his men into a neighboring land with their spears raised, for he only had to give the order. Here, he could not give orders. Here, he had no army to hide behind. His muscles screamed in protest as he pushed himself up. He could no longer rest on his title or military might. Astlan did not care what his name was, and if he wanted to speak to the goddess, nothing but his own tenacity would get him there. Motekusoma lifted a foot and stepped forward. His golden sandal disappeared into the ground once more. He stepped forward again and again, slowly making his way up the mountain path. He moved at a snail's pace, but nevertheless, he moved. His legs lifted painfully with each step, and his teeth grinded with effort. He dragged his rigid limbs in slow motion, forcing himself upward with every ounce of strength he possessed strength that seemed to lessen with every passing moment. His back slowly stooped, his hair turned gray, and the skin on his face sagged as he trudged up the path after the caretaker. He began to cough, a great hacking sound that seemed to push him further and further into the earth with each step. But still, he walked on. Motekusoma looked over at the sound of something large stirring in the woods. His feeble eyes squinted, trying to see into the foliage. The luminous, yellow eyes of a jaguar shone through the bushes. Motekusoma froze in fear. He dared not move. His heart thrummed weakly in his rasping chest. But the jaguar was looking at him with curiosity rather than hunger. The caretaker turned back to Motekusoma.
1: What does it mean? What you make of it. I... I'm close. I'm close to her. I can feel it. That is what it means. If you say so, Emperor...
0: Motekusoma held the jaguar's eyes until the beast slowly backed away into the shadows of the forest. Strength surged through him. Whether it was mystical or his own determination, he did not know. But his stride became easier. His feet still sank into the ground, but now he was able to pull them out with more agility. He stepped forward again and again, picking up his pace. The peak was close, a few yards above him. He moved faster. His hair turned from white to gray to the jet black it was before. His papery skin filled out, returning to its bronzed vibrancy. He was young once again. Uh, uh, uh. He grunted with effort as the renewed muscles in his legs pushed him up to the crest of the mountain and over the top. (sighs) (sighs) Motekusoma stood at the peak of Astlan, panting and spent. Through his deep, gasping breaths, he started to laugh. He had never pushed himself so hard physically, and the success made him giddy. But the smile faded from his face when he noticed a figure standing before him. It was an old woman. She stood with a hunch back and her tangled white hair covering her face. Her chest was bare, but no skin was visible— Instead, dirt covered her from head to toe, caked onto her body as though she had bathed in it. Motekusoma's eyes were drawn to her skirt. It was made of dead snakes hanging limply around her legs. His mouth fell open in shock. He recognized this figure from his dreams and the statues that adorned his temples. It was Kotlikyu, the Mother of the Earth. Motekusoma stood tall and spread his arms out wide in greeting.
1: Mother of the Earth, I have arrived.
0: But Kotlikyu did not answer. She stood still, observing him through a curtain of ragged hair. As the silence stretched on, Motekusoma's relief turned to apprehension, he opened his mouth to say more, but found himself unable to speak. Frowning, he tried to cry out, but his voice had been silenced. Kotlikyu did not want him to speak. She slowly pushed her hair aside to reveal piercing, cold eyes. Their gaze cut into Motekusoma like a knife, and it seems she found him wanting for she slowly raised a finger and pointed at the emperor, her eyes blazed with grief.
2: You will die. They all will die.
0: Up next, Kolikyu gives Motekusoma an unwelcome prophecy. Now, back to the story. Motekusoma, emperor of the Mexica, had traveled to the ancestral homeland of his people, Astlan. There he intended to beg the goddess Kotliku to end a drought that had plagued his people. But as he finally knelt in front of the mother of the earth, Kotliku, the first words from her mouth were tidings of doom. Motekusoma's stomach plummeted at Kotliku's words, She was angry. She wanted blood. For what, he did not know. It was then that Motekusoma, the proud emperor, conqueror of all Mexica, threw himself to his knees. For when the gods are angry, mortals must make reparations. As he hit the ground, he felt his voice release, and his pleas poured forth in a rush. Here,
1: here, I brought gifts. Please, Goddess Mother."
0: Gold, trinkets, and the remaining chocolate spilled out of his pockets. He shoved them toward the goddess, his eyes pleading. At the sight of the presence, Kotliku's demeanor softened. Her posture straightened, and the lines on her face filled out. Within moments, she too looked more youthful and vibrant than the decrepit woman she had been seconds ago praise was a powerful medicine it seemed she walked toward Motekusoma she stood tall with her arms spread wide as if to pull the world in close to her and as she leaned down to speak to Motekusoma the eyes that beheld him possessed a startling wisdom thank you your reverence
2: is warming I am I know who you are Emperor Motekozoma, and I know what you seek. But we cannot always get what we want, is it not so?
1: You will not return? The land is dry and cracked.
2: My people wither before my eyes. I will not return to what I have left, and your false sympathies are laughable. I know what you are, Emperor. You... You
1: left on purpose, knowing what would happen to us? You hiding here is a cruel trick, taunting us from this paradise.
2: It is not cruelty that drove me away. It is you, your victories, your accomplishments, as you call
1: them. We have conquered untold peoples. We make thousands of sacrifices to you and Huitzilopochtli.
0: You murder in our name, and you call them gifts. Motekusoma's cheeks felt hot. His urge to defend himself was stifled by the shame that Kotliku had ignited. War and expansion were his greatest achievements as a ruler, and now the thought of his prowess caused him anguish. Kotliku grabbed his hair. Her voice was barely above a whisper, and yet it reverberated within his head. You have prospered, yes, but your prosperity
2: has been built on cruelty. You murder and rip apart villages, and what is worse, your warriors abandon
0: their families to go and ravage foreign lands. Cotlicu's eyes brimmed with tears, and she looked away, Motekusoma realized with a start that she was not just talking about his warriors.
2: You miss Huitzilopochtli.
0: He abandoned me, his mother, to create a civilization of blood. Huitzilopochtli was the Mexica's supreme god. It was he, Motekusoma, prayed to, who they sacrificed to most of the year. Before the droughts plagued their land, Huitzilopochtli bestowed them with successful campaigns and fruitful harvests. While Soma often took the credit for his kingdom's success, it was Huitzilopochtli that Kotliku credited and blamed.
1: You are in mourning.
0: When Huitzilopochtli
2: took your people from Astlan, he left me here. I followed. I looked and looked and looked for years I sat amongst your people watching and waiting for him years wasted while war and bloodshed thrived around me I thought he must eventually show himself but still he hid from his mother so I came back home
1: And so the droughts came to Tenochtitlan.
2: I hoped he would follow me here, but he did not notice or care. I do not know which is worse.
1: Huitzilopochtli has answered many a sacrifice with success on the battlefield. It seems that he notices my people when we call for his attention.
2: You are suggesting I send him a message through
0: you? Do you think he will listen?
1: I think he will hear you, but I do not know if he will listen.
0: Motekusoma knew the feeling well. He rarely listened to the advice of those wiser than him. He did not like to be told what to do. But here, kneeling in front of Kotlikyu, he finally accepted that there were other ways to change the world aside from force.
2: A message to lay upon his altar. It is a good idea. It should be something simple to remind
0: him of humility and of his mother." Kotlikyu gently handed him a plain piece of cloth. Motekusoma took the cloth and carefully tucked it away within his robes. Fear gnawed at his belly. He was pleased to help the goddess, but her first words to him had not left his mind, and he could not leave here without knowing what they meant.
1: When you first saw me, you said that we would die, that I would die.
0: (sighs) As
2: you attack others, crush their cities, and steal their people for your own purposes, you doom yourself to the same fate. Your cities will crumble, Emperor, and your people will one day be but a story.
1: What can I do?
0: Nothing. Instead of arguing or pressing her further, Motekusoma found himself bowing his head in acceptance. Though he wished it were not so, some things cannot be changed. Motekusoma departed from the peak... Kotliku's gift safely tucked in his robes. He walked back down the path that brought him here, but with a lightness he did not have during his ascent. His feet did not sink into the ground, and his youth stayed intact. He met the Aztecs at the dock, and they rowed him across the lake to shore, where the sorcerers had reappeared. He joined them on land, a different man, and gazed back for one last look at the triumphant peak of Aztlan. But it was gone. In its place was a dry desert. The sorcerers turned into birds, and they all took to the sky. They flew over the desert, through the clouds, and finally landed on the road before the great city gates of Tenochtitlan, Motekusoma transformed into a man in one smooth stride as he walked through his city gates. He walked up the steps of templo mayor and soon was kneeling before Huitzilopochtli's altar. He closed his eyes and set Kotliku's cloth down on the sacrificial stone. Dried blood was crusted around the edges of the stone, filling the cracks of the altar with dull, red lines. The cloth looked vibrantly white against the residue. Motekusoma stared at the dried blood, the words of the goddess playing over and over again in his head. With the corner of his robe, he gently dabbed at the blood, wiping it from the stone. Then he scrubbed more vigorously. His eyes glistened as his movements became more frantic. He wanted the blood gone. His lip curled with loathing as he rubbed the residue away. The sound of footsteps pulled him from his task. Motekusoma turned to see his half-brother and advisor, Tlakaela, standing behind him. His expression was curious. There was a question in his eyes. What happened? But Motekusoma could not speak. A wave of grief washed over him. Tears ran freely down his cheeks for the horrors he had inflicted, and the horrors that were still to come. Tlakaela opened his mouth to say something, but Motekusoma held up a hand. Instead, he stood and moved to embrace his surprised advisor. Motekusoma had spent many years learning about taking what he wanted by force, but he had much to learn about the strength of family. He let go of Telakaela. Before his half-brother could speak, he strode from the temple. Outside, he stood at the top of the steps and looked down over his kingdom. Starving people sat on the steps below and milled about in the unrelenting heat. They were weak and though heads turned to look at their king, it seemed as though they barely saw him. A drop of water hit Motekusoma's forehead. He touched it in disbelief, rubbing the moisture between his fingertips. He looked up. Rain began to fall, softly at first, but then in a steady stream. Laughing, he raised his arms into the air, They may be doomed, but in this moment, he felt saved. Motekusoma continued to reign until his death in 1469. Though he's known for being a war leader and expander of the Mexica Empire, Moctezuma is also credited with some more practical advances, like constructing aqueducts to provide Tenochtitlan with water. Among these was the Chapel Tepec Aqueduct, which took 13 years to complete. But darker times were still to come. Kotliku's prediction came true. About 50 years after Soma's death, Many of the Mexica were slaughtered, and their cities were leveled by the invading Spanish. It was the end of their civilization. History has painted the Aztecs as violent and bloodthirsty people, but that's because of who got to write history. The invading Spanish told tales of mass murder in the name of sacrifice. To them, the native people of Mexico were uncivilized and dangerous. The tale of Motecuzoma's search for Coatlicue was recorded after the 16th century Spanish conquest by Fray Diego Duran and can be interpreted as a condemnation of militarism and a story that champions family values. Coatlicue's longing for her son, Huitzilopochtli, adds another layer to this theme. His original departure from Aztlan to settle in the Mexican Basin ultimately led to the Mexica's ruthless slaughter of those who resided in the region previously. His departure from Aztlan therefore shows his abandonment of family for war, and Coatlicue's grief from his absence shows that conflict rips families apart. And then there's Aztlan itself, a luxurious place of abundance, Everyone who lives there enjoys immortality and infinite happiness. Wildlife coexists with the people of Astlan, with birds soaring through the skies and schools of fish swimming through the lake. Trees shade the inhabitants from the harsh sun, and floating gardens full of vegetables ensure that no one goes hungry. In modern Mexican culture today, the legend of Aztlan represents many things, including unity, because it's a place utterly without the complications and vices of the world outside. Motecusoma's consumption of the chocolates that weighed him down symbolized the risks of indulging in luxury. The Aztecs from Astlan could remain immortal because they've not been spoiled by such things, therefore representing the ideal that all should adhere to – simplicity and harmony with nature. We're all weighed down by our vices, and sometimes success and its pursuit clouds the true harm that we do. The story of Motekusoma's journey to Astlan was more than a quest to find a mysterious homeland. It's about revitalizing his connection to humanity. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on motecusoma amongst the many sources we used, we found The Return to Coatlicue: Goddesses and War Ladies in Mexican Folklore, by Grisel Gomez Cano, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify's making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark classic tale. We'll be back next week with another epic story.
1: Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Mythology was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors include Tom Bauer, Dan Velasquez, and Jen Wong. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson.